Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. I am suffering still with a little bit of laryngitis, as you can probably tell. So I apologize for that. It's been a real pain. The last week, I've been having to push off calls with Investor Club, etc. So I apologize for that. At any rate, hopefully uh, you've been enjoying the show lately. We've had a lot of cool, cool stuff. And I want to encourage you to continue to get involved. As you know, the show that we do on the podcast is probably only about 50, 75% of what's going on. I mean, you got to get on the list to get on the inside, to get all the opportunities and webinars, et cetera, et cetera. Go to wealthformula.com and sign up for the weekly wealth widget get a morsel of financial information every week or you could sign up for investor club and participate along with the accredited investors in the group if you can't get to the computer and go to wealthformula.com download my book seven secrets of eternal wealth by typing in 44222 and type in wealth formula one word don't let it auto correct to two words otherwise it won't work So you go to 44222 and put Wealth Formula, one word, and you will get a copy of my free book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, which was an Amazon number one bestseller. You can have it for free. Anyway, that's a pretty good opportunity, obviously. Now, let's get back on track here with topics for today. Now, I just wanted to give you a little anecdote because I thought it was kind of funny and interesting, but... So last week, my wife and I took our daughters to the town fair. It's like a kid's fair, you know, and they have rides and stuff, and they're raising money for local stuff. And we stayed until the end, and as we were walking out, we were offered these free cases of blueberry yogurt drinks, kefir as they're known, and bottled iced coffees. And basically, it was what was left over from the fair that they couldn't sell, and then they didn't want to, you know, bring, they had no place to bring them back, so they were just giving them away. So at my urging, my oldest daughter accepted all of the free stuff and decided to put up a stand outside the house later on in the day selling the stuff. In other words, she was, instead of having an old-fashioned lemonade stand, she was selling kefir and coffee. And so, In order to do that, she hired her little sisters. My oldest is eight, and her little sisters are four and two. And she hired them each for a dollar apiece, and she hired her mother also. I worked for free. I worked as a volunteer. So she knew that she needed to sell at least $3 worth of drinks to break even because she had to pay her sisters and her mom. At first, it sounded a little scary, right? But then when she understood the upside, she got very excited. So after the first hour... 
she got a little nervous again because it looked like she'd only sold about $3 worth of stuff and it was a break-even thing and she wasn't going to make a lot of money and she spent all this time. And then she started thinking that maybe she should have been one of the people who was actually getting guaranteed money. You know, she could have taken $1 and let maybe her four-year-old run the business. But as the longer she waited, she soon realized that, as I always say, the key to business is sticking around long enough until the next time you get lucky. So my daughter saw that when four of her neighbor friends came by and they raided her inventory, she had now collected $20 in revenue in total. And then she got super excited. In fact, we decided to call it a day and sort of quit what we were ahead at that point. However, before that, she had to pay her sisters and her mom. And so that $20 became 17 bucks. And then I told her the bad news that she had to pay taxes. And so I made her pay half. So for those of you out there who want to teach your kids a little bit about taxes and business, this is a very, very good way to get your kids to learn about taxes. She was really, really unhappy about paying the 50% and wanted to know what I was going to do with the money, et cetera. And I told her I didn't know, but it probably wasn't going to be anything that's going to help her out very much. Anyway, she did learn a lot from this exercise. And I have to tell you, I'm thinking about in the future that instead of you know, giving her an allowance because we don't really give her an allowance. She's only eight. We don't really give her anything. But in the future, she might ask for one. But I might, instead of giving her an allowance, I might offer to give her an inventory of something for her to sell. I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Love to get your feedback on that. Inventory couldn't mean anything, obviously. I mean, I would let her figure that out. I mean, after all, that's real life, right? If you want to be successful in business, you have to figure out what people want or what they need. I mean, a successful business ultimately comes down to either providing something that solves a problem or a pain or it's entertainment. That's really it. Honestly, that folks, that is the key to finding a successful business model that either has to solve a problem or pain or it provides entertainment. If you can do both, that's great too. So we usually don't talk about entertainment that much as an asset class in this show, but it is indeed a very powerful and potentially lucrative asset class to consider. So my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast today has a very cool, very elegant business model that focuses just on that. So when we come back today, we'll talk to Jeff Snyder, and he will tell us how we can profit by buying the rights of some of our favorite songs. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three 
and a half years. These guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Jeff Schneider. Jeff is the president and CFO of Royalty Exchange. A royalty exchange is the first liquid market for intellectual property that allows investors the opportunity to buy royalties via online auction. So, Jeff, thanks for being on the show. Buck, it was great having me. Thanks. So let's back up a little. I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up starting this, what I think is pretty fascinating business. Yeah, sure. It's it's really a long winding story, but I guess to be brief, my background is in finance. I'm a CPA by trade. I'd played around in the public markets for a long time. And I think as many people in your audience, you start realizing that the public markets kind of have I don't want to say they're rigged, but uh, certainly there's oh, they're rigged. Really, <laughs> really smart people yeah. whose full-time job is to make you look foolish. Right. So, yeah, I did that for a few years. My trade is really more corporate finance. But as I was looking into alternative investments for my portfolio, there were a few key criteria. I think the couple royalties fit all of them. So I actually found Royalty Exchange as I was an interested investor. It existed before we were around, and then we liked the opportunity in the business enough that we actually bought it towards the end of 2015. But I guess probably two of the key criteria to me that really makes royalties interesting is that, you know, first of all, it is a truly passive investment. I am sure your audience and a lot of people, when they think passive investment and alternative investment, they're thinking real estate, which is really great for cash flow. In my mind, real estate, you have to put a roof on the thing every 15 or so years, and then you got to fix the toilet when it breaks. So despite the fact that there's the initial capital outlay, then there's additional capital that has to be you know, put into it. Expenses. Or royalties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, royalties is just purely if you buy it at the right price, um, you sit on it. And other people are actually doing the work. And you're reaping the reward. So let's back up a little bit. You're talking about royalties. We're talking about intellectual property. I mean, can you sort of describe that asset class a little bit better? Royalties generally are, the easiest way to think of it is it's a slice off the top. So it's related to the intellectual property, whether that's a copyright, a trademark, a patent. And if the asset itself generates any revenue, a royalty is just a percentage of that revenue that's generated. That's interesting. So are we talking in this situation about more than just songs? Are we also talking about patents and things like that in in terms of your business? Right now, I mean, 95 plus percent are, are related to music. And that's just because that's where the business was prior to us taking it over. And also, there is a fair amount of traction that we can build within the music arena. But the other primary reason why music makes the most sense right now is there is a third party intermediary that does all of the collection, enforcement and distribution of royalties. So you kind of have a clear chain of title that you don't necessarily have in Mm -hmm. other spaces. So it just it's lower counterparty risk. That's one of the main reasons that we're in the music business to start with. So give me some examples of IP that's gone through your marketplace. Sure. So we've covered the gamut of younger artists, what I would call a little bit more speculative, 
But, you know, some of the really fun ones we've had on our platform are, you know, we've had a Barry White song, his second biggest song called You're My First, My Last, My Everything. Thing has been paying royalties for 34 years or so. And, you know, it'll continue to pay royalties long into the future. We've had kind of those evergreen songs do really well on the platform. As sure. Well. That makes sense. I mean, I would think in terms of volatility, right? Yeah, and that's probably the one of the ways to think of it is if you're thinking of like a bell curve in a way, but basically uh, the curve by which songs make money, you know, there's it's usually heavily loaded towards right after they release. And then, of course, it drops over time. You know, I think some of the best investments in terms of somebody who's interested in cash flow, you know, generating a, a high yield cash flow investment is somebody who can really buy along the tail. So these are songs that have been out for a, a long period of time. They're a lot more predictable. Their annual earnings are plus or minus 5 or 10%. And that's a much better investment in my mind than you know a more speculative one where you're buying further up the tail. Now, you can make a lot of money that way as well. But my preference probably is a bit more conservative than a lot of other investors out there. Sure. So how do you find people who actually want to sell intellectual property? I mean, is that a different, because you said there's really not another marketplace, really liquid marketplace. So where, where do you find these people? Yeah, I mean, we have uh, marketing campaigns and we have a sales force dedicated to basically getting out there and being available, get, you know, being at conferences where songwriters and musicians are. So it, we're basically boots on the ground lots of time on the phone educating people about what their options are and that's how we make the marketplace available yeah that's interesting i guess getting sort of back into this as an asset i mean obviously one of the questions is well how do you value intellectual property i mean obviously with real estate we're familiar with financials and we might have a you know like a certain cap rate you know we say there's a cap rate of 7 and therefore we know exactly kind of you know, what we would need to pay for it in order to get a certain return. How does that all work for IP? Sure. Yeah, it's a good question. I think one probably distinction to make is what we value is primarily the cash flow and not more of the speculative upside associated with it. There are definitely things in the music space or intellectual property space where you could buy a patent that has earned nothing with the expectation that you could turn it into something. Sure. That's not what we're talking about here. You know, the easiest way most of these are valued is in the same way that a price to earnings multiple is with the stocks. These most likely that anybody in the industry and the way it trades on the platform all talks about a multiple of previous 12 months or sure. a multiple of the average of the last three years earnings. Uh-huh. And so now that's where it gets a little variant, but that's the standard industry term. But from there, we've seen anything trade from less than two times last year's earnings to, you know, up to about 11 times last year's earnings. Right. So in terms of, I mean, just for our audience, I mean, that basically comes down to anywhere from, uh, you know, 50% uh, cash on cash to, you know, just under 10%, right? That's correct. Yeah. And now the difference would be that's assuming zero degradation into the future. Yeah. And so I think probably the easiest way to think of it is there is kind of an average multiple on our platform is about 5.6. And, you know, things that trade for less than that either seems like they'll degrade faster. There's 
more volatility in their earnings. And then things that trade for more than that are more stable, more evergreen artists. Those are kind of the things that impact the right. So a five point six multiple or five. That's what you mean by that. Yeah, correct. So the average over yeah. the last about 115 auctions yeah. is a 5.6 times. Yeah. So we're looking at probably about a 20% return on average from that, right? Yeah. But that, like I said, that's assuming no degradation. Yeah, and sure. I, sure. You know, I, if you look at most of our, most of the catalogs or even just within music, you probably kind of build in a degradation of eight or so percent. You know, obviously that depends on the artist and I would encourage everybody to kind of do that math in each of the individual auctions. So we always present the historical financials yeah. so that, you know, you can, you can kind of make some more educated guesses of what the future may hold. Got it. So, okay. Well, say I go in there and I buy a Barry White song, by the way, how much, how much would a uh, Barry White song cost me? <laughs> uh, so this one I think went for about $68,000, I believe. Well, that's not bad. I thought Barry White would be more. I mean, that's sort of uh, evergreen, right? A little bit. I mean, Barry White. Well, so help me understand, how do I get paid for that? I mean, who's paying me and are they just sending me a check? I mean, how does that all work? Yeah. So, well, let me say the interesting thing with music is that there's always a lot of fractional pieces of music. So what we sold with Barry White was a percentage of the songwriter who wrote that song with him. Mm-hmm. So it's not the whole song. That's only a percentage of the income associated to that song. But then in terms of the collection, there are these agencies basically called performance rights organizations. You know, in the industry, the two largest ones are called ASCAP and BMI. And so say you were to win an auction, you won Barry White, what uh, our account management team helps you do is set up an account with that performance rights organization, and then they pay you directly every quarter. And, you know, it's either direct deposit or the old school check, along with a statement of all the different uses, where the song was played, how many times, all those types of things. And that's one of the better parts of the music business is that ASCAP and BMI actually have reps on the ground everywhere. You know, so if you own a bar, if you own a hotel and you plan on playing music, you have to pay into these ASCAP and BMI performance rights organizations. So they enforce that copyright all throughout the world. doesn't matter whether it's here in the U.S. There is sister companies in France and Germany, and they all pay into these PROs and then you as the investor, you just have to sit back and wait for the quarterly check. So again, following the money here, I'm intrigued by this. I'm just sort of curious. So say I own part of this Barry White song, which I, I really like the idea of owning a Barry White song, frankly, <laughs> but it gets played on a local radio station. That radio station knows that because it played that, it has to pay a certain amount to these organizations. Is that right? Think of it this way. Almost anywhere it gets played there is some money going into these performance rights organizations. And then from there, the performance rights organization has the basic who owns what and what percentage of every song. And then they pay that out to the owner. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you mentioned it's sort of a fairly highly regulated market and it's enforced pretty strictly, right? 
What are the risks? I mean, as far as you see, I mean, to me, it seems like degradation would be the big one, right? Yeah, I do think that is the biggest one. And I think royalties is the flip side of being purely passive means that if you do buy at the wrong price, you know, sometimes it is challenging to make that up. You, you know, if you, if you bought a bad piece of property and you realize that it's no good, you tear it down and build something else or you can try to turn it around. Yeah. With royalties, you don't necessarily have that input or influence on the use of the catalog. So I think, um, I mean, really that's the biggest risk is you buy it at the wrong price and it's hard for you to figure out how to actually influence the, yeah. you know, the outcome. So I would think the older the song, the safer, you think? Because you have sort yeah. of historical information that's not, I mean, that there's not a lot of reason that it would change and, and potentially there would only be upside, really, if somebody decided to use it in a movie or something like that. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's why you see such a huge variation on the multiple that these things trade at. Right. And, you know, and the interesting part in the music business is it's now actually the use of streaming has really uh, boosted the value of some of these older catalogs. Because even if you were to think about the Barry White, you know, song, for example, you know, maybe in each local market, there may be one radio station that still plays that certain Barry White song, just based on the demographics of, of radio. But now you have 50 million people paying for Spotify every month, and they can play that Barry White song anytime, anywhere that they want. It's what's called catalog music. This music that's older than 18 months has actually always earned less than new music until about a year ago. And now older music is now out earning some of the newer music. And it's just because so much of this older music is available on demand anytime, anywhere. And you you couldn't do that before. That's pretty cool. Tell me about the royalty exchange platform. I mean, how, how does it work in terms of like, uh, you know, you go on there, you sign up for an account and, and how, how does it work from there? Yeah, sure. So I would say three main steps. You know, the first is obviously sign up. We do have a report out there since I know this is a new asset class for I'm sure a lot of your listeners is the ultimate guide to buying music royalties. I think that's always a great place to start educating yourself. So when you sign up, you can request that. And then step two, I I do believe in educating yourself on the asset class, on the investment. And so I encourage people to get more information, ask us questions, watch several of the auctions so that they understand how it works. The third final step is if you are interested in bidding, we do a, a verification process through our account management team just to make sure you understand the asset, you understand how the auctions work. It's kind of the final check. A big part of being a marketplace is we want a smooth and efficient market and having people bid out of confusion or anything like that is the last thing we want. So we always do a kind of a voice verification of that first bid. That's a one-time thing, not every bid, but that first bid. And then from there, you're off to the races. You can bid on any auction you'd like or have patience. Do whatever fits your criteria. Yeah. Is it royaltyexchange.com then? Is that yes, it is royaltyexchange.com. Yeah. Pretty awesome, Joe. So how much of your own portfolio is sitting in IP? That's a good question. I think uh, certainly a big chunk of it is sitting in the business itself. But in IP, you know, we have less than 
in percentage terms, I guess it's probably about twenty five percent, twenty to twenty five percent. That's a lot. So obviously you you're a guy who believes in this area. Well, I think it's fascinating, and I'm definitely going to check it out and maybe uh, pick your brain a little bit about how to find stuff that'd be a good buy. But Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. This was great stuff. Oh, no problem. I appreciate you having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff Schneider and realize again that there are much more interesting ways and productive ways to invest your money than stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. In this case, I like the idea of investing as much into Barry White songs as possible. Anyway, yeah, I think this is a very cool opportunity, so hopefully you'll get a chance to check out Jeff's website. And before we go, I just want to remind everybody to make sure you get involved as much as possible. Get on the list. You can always uh, type 44222 on your phone and text wealth formula one word over and get on my list. Get a free copy of my book. I should also point out, and I don't talked about it much lately, but our Belize offering is still open. So for those of you accredited investors who are interested in potentially making double digit returns with an investment in a major brand hotel, TripAdvisor's number one island destination, get in touch, join Investor Club, and I'll tell you all about it. With that said, hopefully I'll have my voice back next week. This is Buck Joffrey. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.